From Ag Expert, it's the FCC Knowledge Podcast, a show that features great conversations about the business of farming while guiding you down the pathway to transition. And that's where I find people. They're looking for these solutions to unpack these issues. And if they can start doing some small decisions together, then as they progress, the bigger ones get easy and they get to a place where they get comfortable making a choice. Welcome to a special bonus episode of FCC Knowledge Podcast for Season 3. If you've been following along, you'll remember that in our sixth episode in the series, Building a Business Plan, our very own business advisor, Joel Bokenfor, role-played as a junior partner to Merle Goods' senior partner, as they used the business plan to drive the farm transition discussion at their hypothetical operation, Boken Good Farms. This is something Merle and FCC's Anessa Good, who is also Merle's daughter, are currently working through in their own transition journey, so they personally know how tough it can be. Today's episode is an extension of that conversation. Joel, Anessa, and Merle couldn't resist chatting a bit more, specifically about equity. When it comes right down to it, talking about equity is such a personal discussion that truly depends on the farm scenario and the values and goals of the business. And this is a discussion that FCC has every day with clients and their families across the country. Even in the hypothetical situations of Boken Good Farms, it was difficult for Joel and Merle to have these discussions. But it also became an opportunity to provide even more information for you, the listener. For this episode, Joel, Merle, and Anessa will once again explore those hard discussions on the allocation of resources especially to off-farm children. Let's jump right in with Joel to start us off. Some of our key goals, we want to talk about the importance of understanding some ag realities uh, when you're talking about equity, the difference in cash versus equity, um, including non-farm children in their their understanding, and really digging into why it's so complex to try to do these things. So um, we've got lots of different points we're going to circle through. Um, I know one that, uh, that I always like to jump straight to is almost looking at uh, the net worth statement. So I know when I open these discussions up a lot, uh, I've always benefited from being able to pull up a net worth statement and say, okay, this at least gives us the base to put some numbers to thing and talk a little bit about what problem are we trying to scope. Lots of parents don't want to solve these things or they don't want to chat about it uh, or put it publicly, but what are we trying to solve? And pulling that balance sheet that we've talked about together. So for us, we're going to use a grain farm and follow that grain farm example. And uh, we put a small business uh uh, asset sheet together. It's a farm with uh, seven million in asset, uh, just under two million in debt. Um, if we're giving that all to the farm child, um, we're probably going to have some issues. Um, if we're splitting it in two and dividing it halfways, it might not be viable for our farm. So these are a lot of the issues that people have to uh, think about. Merle, maybe you could recap our discussion on the uh, Opco and real estate company that we talked about in the first video. I think with a farm is we have to categorize what we own into three pots. Pot one is our operating assets. There's a grain farm, of course. It's grain, equipment, inventory. Then our real estate business, which is the land in this case. Then our off-farm investment pot. Our potential retirement income, you know, Canada Pension, OAS. We have stocks in the stock market. If you have those three bubbles, then you can focus on them in different times of our transition. So our previous video was the operating plan, how to make that work. And then the next one is the real estate and then the off-farm investment decision. So we talk about equity. The thing I always tell the families when I meet with them right off the bat, farming is an equity game. 
every dollar you make gets plowed back into assets to create the, the cash flow. And so when we talk about transition on equity, I want to say is two points. One, parents, you have to decide a certain part of your career when you no longer take returns out of the farm as labor or management return, but rather redemption of equity. What does that mean in English? It means either the company be buying back your preferred shares. It's either taking um, and having uh, income out of the investments for retirement, or the third part is selling land. Do you sell land to your company? Do you sell land to the farm child? Or in some cases, do you sell land to a third-party uh, purchaser to meet your goals and objectives? That one is very hard to do. I understand that. I'm a farmer. But that's what equity means to me. So in that discussion, we'll talk about what we mean by this equity conversation of land value is the elephant in the room. Nessa, you were, you were coming into this originally, I think, to play the kind of, right, the quote-unquote role. Off in it. farm. I think you're... Stronger personality than either one of us, right? To kind of stand your ground on stuff. So we both were too scared to go to the table with you. But um, uh, <laughs> you think you're scared? <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to live it later. So I know. I'm, I'm, I'm scared about car ride home. Car, <laughs> car ride, ride home. home. From all your discussions with all farm kids too, I guess what comes to the table for helping them understand as well. All of FCC's advisors, we talk about it as a national team. Our off farm children having a chance to be heard, be introduced to the topic of transition. In the industry, I think we're starting to have these conversations earlier and earlier. And so the exciting part of that is bringing um, those voices to the table. Joel, when you talk about sharing your net worth, if it's a, a conceptual example that you talk through with an advisor or if your family is at the stage where they share the, the net worth with the off-farm children as well, um, you know, it really allows opportunities to see, oh, okay, the current debt load is supported um, by the current asset allocation. We hear a lot, we need to educate our off-farm kids. What does that mean? When we talk about fair versus equal, we're going to talk about that a lot today. It's not just dollars. Are we being fair to them with that knowledge? Are we being fair to them um, with acknowledging um, what they're going to say? So today, looking forward to digging in with a little bit more context. So for example, right on the net worth, Joel, you talk about the debt obligations and often um, when I'm sitting with farm families, repurchase impacts come up. In your opinion, what does that mean? Like, how can we support families to start this conversation? I always go back to that financial tool. Like, I think it's so powerful. Um, it is stealing your words a little bit on, does everybody understand the rea ag realities we have? I always put it back to that financial statement. You're coming back to the farm, you're looking for clarity because you're intuitively understanding that these numbers, they're stretching out as assets increase in value, as the dollars that we use to generate our income are growing relative to what we can produce. I like to come back to it with a bit of a financial plan so that you've got that financial indicator and we highlighted, we went through a number of different scenarios in that first video, but I always look at it a little bit that um, if you've got your sales revenue and you're really looking at your margins and things like that, in our example, we're leveraging almost $8 million in assets to generate about $200,000 in net income back to the farm for living costs, right about 40% of that whole pot of $2 million generation in revenue based on $8 million in assets. We have about 40% left to make sure we've got our equipment payments covered, that we've got our principal interest, future borrowing ability covered, some land rent and, and living costs out of that, and making sure we've got some risk in case things fluctuate. So you see a lot of that next-gen struggling to say, how do we actually piece this together? And I need clarity sooner rather than later. Putting it on paper helps everybody get to that understanding, helps you share it with the non-farm uh, siblings to say, this is why things might not be completely equal to get here. I'm going to push back a little bit on this. 
Because you show this to somebody who's got a salaried position in Red Deer, and they see $8 million of net worth, and you're saying you're struggling? Come on, man. <laughs> I mean, like, what are you talking here? So sometimes this idea of bringing out an actual statement of the parents, right? I'm going to come back, maybe just push back a little bit, say what you mentioned, maybe it's a conceptual balance sheet. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're not showing the actual numbers yet? Because once this comes out, this is law. Right? Like this right. is your farm. So I always talk about off-farm children and farm son or daughter who's farming. We're going to talk concepts today, not necessarily actual numbers. But when talking to an off-farm child, be careful. Because once you start talking about ROI and EBITDA, they're going to go, huh? And I'm not saying they're ignorant, just that they're not in this space. And they're going to say $8 million of asset. You tell me we can't afford to give me X amounts to raise my kids. You're helping Joel raise his career. Why in the hell aren't you helping me pay for my kids? you got to be careful of when we take these words of advice from a, a group of consultants like this, each family is different. Off-farm children are well-versed in financial management, great. But if they're not, be careful of putting things out that are hardcore numbers right. rather than conceptual numbers. No problem here, conceptual numbers, saying like, for example, if you want to buy a quarter section data, Joel, what's your uh, capital to uh, gross revenue number? It's, yeah. If you take a, a million-dollar yeah. quarter... If you gross 100000 it's $10 of capital to $1 of, of income. Conceptually, that hits home now. you got to spend a million dollars to yeah, make that. To, yeah, then when you 10%. go back into living costs, maybe it's not 10 to 1, it's 40 to 1. So you can say, would you rather have a briefcase or would you rather have a 40 to 1 capital business to make a living? Yeah, point well taken. I think every family is different, and we start with those expectations early that you want to be careful how you set precedent a little bit when you have these discussions. We're going to a place where no one's owed a farm, and we're making choices as we go forward. When we're sitting at the tables, we're working with a lot of senior generations. They want to be more proactive or, in their words, be more open or do better than the secrecy or previous um, culture that agriculture sometimes has had with secrecy and things like that. And so it is really finding that balance. You know, what I really hit on is ages and stages. So, Joel, in your first video, you talk a lot about what's our family values and vision to the business plan. If we're starting these conversations Early, it's dependent on age and stage. You might be 35 years old, but if you've only been back on the farm two years, that's different than if you've been back at 21. Once again, why when we started out with this role play, we really struggled because it is very dependent on each family in their own scenario. What we can really take working with this financial reality, something I know we're all really passionate about, is who is on your family farm transition team to support you. So if you don't feel confident enough to work through some of these numbers or you want to benefit from that neutral third-party advice or insight, this is a great exercise to work with your accountant uh, and come back and say, okay, once we're working with our accountant to look at our financial reality, then we're coming back and saying, okay, how do we benchmark, right? FCC has a new benchmarking tool. There's certainly other organizations out there that have benchmarking. And again, that is another opportunity from why I'm at the table today to bring that awareness to non-farm kids. How do we slow this conversation down? So definitely an umbrella concept is that the fair market value of land is so far from the return or the productive value of land. And if we say that statement so simply to an off-farm kid, what does that mean? Comments are spot on, and so they're like when we get to that financial piece, you're trying to unpack the stress on people's mind a little bit. Like it's not just you struggling with this decision alone; it's all farms trying to figure this out, right? You touched on our asset values have in- increased relative to what we're capable of producing on that. That adds another layer of challenge onto the succession planning, right? I would, Huge. I would argue, Merle, right? That uh, over your career, probably getting more difficult 
the discrepancy between what the assets are worth and what it can produce. It used to be years ago, and it hasn't changed much. It's 2% on assets, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like you take your 8 million times 2% is 160. You know, that's probably all what's left over when you're all done. So yeah. it hasn't changed. It's been better the last four years. And, yeah. and historically, what's interesting, back in the 80s when I first started, if the son come home, the old joke was, do you like your farming son? No, good, give him the farm. <laughs> you know, so it was back then, it was tough in the economic capacity. So now there's been a lot of room. That's why succession is so powerful in the ag community is that there is room to come back and, and grow these businesses, right? The other pieces that we see, I think, are stressors are farms to maintain their current size to keep up. There's a bit of challenge from the next gen to say, like, we got to get going and figure this out. Oftentimes, a lot of farms are in a place where they can expand and they can pick things up. It's hard not to look over the fence a little bit and say, it seems like they've got it figured out. Can we do it? And so these things come up financially for everyone. Every generation thinks expansion can be acquired through debt capital, right? Let's go buy another quarter section for a million, right? Let's go buy the rental land for a million. So sometimes I think based on this cycle where we're at, like when I was in the last 20 years, the industry has faced nothing but historically low interest rates, high commodity prices, that was a no-brainer to expand on capital assets. The next risk is going to be how do we actually do the management expansion? I know we're a little off topic here about equity, but that's a little bit going back. Are we going to focus on returns from the business or returns from the land or returns from the off-farm asset pot. Unless I feel security that my retirement's coming from the business, right? If I know I'm gonna make my living in Canada Pants OAS and stuff from there, then normally I'm gonna leave my off-farm investment pot, try to be fairness to my off-farm child. That's been a historical thing forever. The elephant in the room is that pot is this big, and the land is this big. So that's what we're gonna discuss as we go forward, right? Thanks for telling me 20 years ago land was such a good investment. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I'd have bought more too. (laughs) I think that labor and management piece is so critical these days too that you want that management piece to be bring in to, we talked about it in the first video, ask yourself what you can do for the farm to improve your skill set. People coming back into the business are incredibly talented, I think, no matter who you are across the board, that they're bringing real skills in that need to be recognized as part of this too. There's a lot of stress that goes on with managing this business as you go forward. And is that worth equity, that you're growing equity for mom and dad as well? When you're talking about the the complexity or the size and scale, when I'm sitting down at farm tables, like I just take a moment and I'm like, okay, everybody breathe. Like Let's let our shoulders drop. And having that recognition and awareness that the current senior generation are looking at transferring an operation that is much more complex with corporations, the tax implications and all of that than they went through mm-hmm. when I they agree. took over from their parents. When we kind of take that moment to check in and have empathy from both generations, you know, come on dad, hurry up, what's the plan? I gotta know, right? I can also take a moment and say like, okay, it's not like they're doing what's been done before. This is the first generation going through this size and scale of complexity with all our our discussions about how do we be proactive, how do we learn from the prior generations. Language I use all the time is figure out at home first. So when you're talking about your financial implications, Joel, um, discussions, not decisions, we need to figure out the financial implications of the family's transition plan before we can start talking about expanding to third-party assets. Parents' um, retirement income, living income, whatever language makes you feel better, What percentage of that is coming from the farm and then the allocation of the buckets that dad talked to? And then certainly, are we budgeting for any capital purchases? Do mom and dad need to move to town prematurely for health concerns, junior generation? 
Do we need to build a residence for them? We all know that residences can put a lot of financial strain on an operation as well. And then lastly, what is the ramifications of their estate plan? That's the elephant in the room, fair versus equal. Joel, we looked at the net worth statement prior, so can you dive into that now a little bit about the implications of that? In that example, we showed giving it all to one person, right? I see some people that support that with their business goals. That's what they choose. And the caution there is always right that uh, if that's your choice, if you want to look at uh, people's success on their own a little bit, I think. But I see some farms that go down that path where they're saying we need to leave a bulk of assets here because our goals are to support the farm going forward. And they say, well, you have other children that might cause you some issues down the road. If it's not going to be equal, maybe we should explain why it's fair Mm -hmm. and at least hear that out. Or else if we divide it purely in two, we go back to that financial one and it's going to have significant implications to continuing the farm business. We see arrangements from the past too where that's happened and it's almost like we've put so much rebuy onto the next gen as they come in. They're set up to fail from the beginning. So we've got to balance these two. And we are talking about generational wealth is the other difference that people bring this generational wealth in that a lot of sacrifice has gone into things historically where we sacrifice to build equity in the short term, we sacrifice to build it in the longer term. What I wanted to end on this equity thing is put it in categories. Heritage wealth is the wealth that families have created to the time the son or daughter comes home. So the heritage wealth, that's divisible by how many kids you have if you wish. That's the business, that the heritage wealth that was created. The next double is the wealth that's created in the family farm with the second generation being there for the next 25 years. Who really owns that equity? Just because it's illegally owned by the parents does not necessarily mean it's really rightfully theirs to distribute as they see fit. So I think that conversation has to come forward. We talk about putting the equity in different pots. Heritage equity, farm equity, off-farm investment wealth. Put those in different pots to decide what, how you divide it. So I think that for the off-farm <coughs> kids, they kind of have to understand that. Even though you're not necessarily part of the company right now, really what I'm trying to get across my parents is saying, have you ever heard of a word called trustee? But are you not holding these assets really in trust for that next child, right, next generation? So you're actually not transferring legal ownership to a trust, but you're actually saying to them, I'm going to hold this, so you have to trust me that our plan that we are agreeing to will become yours eventually in ownership. So that's what I'm trying to get across is value. Because I have off-farm kids saying to me, okay, you just told me you can't afford to give me nothing, right? But you're making a hundred grand a year on the farm, right? You got a half ton truck to boot. You got all the gas you can use. All the perks. All the perks. Your kids are in hockey. I can't afford to put mine in hockey, right? Where's this idea of being fair? Not only are you going to get the vast majority of wealth, but you're also getting income through your career that's above mine and my wife's uh, income. So how do we address that, you two? I'm sure you can speak to this more than me, but that is a pivot that wasn't when you talked about the 80s to what you're speaking almost is like good old sweat equity. The right. farm couldn't afford to pay you an income. Larger grain farms, grain farm they're getting their sweat equity formula is really deficit, not a credit. Like right. they're getting paid more maybe in some ways through cash to live on, but also potential growth in the company through common shares. So if the off-farm kids are saying to me, well, yeah, but, yeah, but, you know, so we can have all these conversations, but the yeah, but's going to keep coming up. That's just focusing on labor, right? The farm child is getting value in cash to spend on their living costs, plus they're getting, in most cases, returns to management and, and, and expertise and enthusiasm. Now, if they're not getting that, then the value formula is in a deficit position. Too many times people say, second generation says, I'm not being paid enough. I said, first generation, I come back and say, you're getting all this. And then if I'm not getting all that, though, that's what I'm trying to get across. There's got to be more than the old way of thinking was value is only hours of labor. 
Yeah. And it's not areas of management. Bringing that back to it, I think there are ways that we would look at it and say, yeah, is there value that's happening that we're increasing beyond what happened? Now that we have two people in, generally that we're excited, happy to work together, that we tend to see a kick up in growth potential, right? As there's more bodies to make decisions, you tend to see that farm equity growing a little bit and some enthusiasm, to your point. When you say what's your returns from the farm, it's 60000 That's labor. Yeah. So then as an off-farm child, you're saying, hey, I'm making 80, man. I'm doing good. Now, right. if you want to make that extra 40, are you running a business? Do you want to put in the hours to be a manager, risk taker on debt? Do you want to have all those things? If you want to put all those things right. back, well, that's the other 40,000 that I've earned. Yeah. So that'd be kind of a neat conversation as we're talking about what's your salary out of a business or what's your take out of a business. Well, it's 60,000 salary and 40,000 management and risk. So you explain that back to your off-farm sister or brother. You're saying, do you guys want to do that? I'm not putting those kind of hours in or taking that kind of risk. Yeah. Like my brother would never farm. Arlen would never come back to the farm because he can't handle the risk. We're talking about a green farm in this. There is some industries, right, where certainly there is tighter cash flow. So sweat equity is still a critical part oh, sure. of that compensation. Like we always say, that's why it was so difficult for us to try to role play this is that everybody's value system is going to be a little unique in that, right? So yeah, how you allocate that's up to you. And so when we talk about buying out siblings, when we were looking at the financial statements, this is definitely where we're always balancing the teeter-totter. So of the financial or tax plan balanced with the family goals and what's unique to them. That's a huge part of this. What's financially feasible, but then working with our accountant, what's our tax plan, and then balancing that out. So if we're talking about a buyout, there's lots of different scenarios, and that's what we hope to highlight a bit today. We're not going to offer solutions but talking about some consideration. So um, how does this impact the family relationship? If there is a debt owing between the siblings for 15, 20 years, what, what is that buyout? Because we know in agriculture, we need time. So from the farming child's perspective, this constant IOU, I got to give the check to my off-farm sibling. And then from the off-farm child's perspective, it's saying, okay, what is my security? Who is my farming brother going to pay back first? A third-party institution? or myself and is that income really transforming my life so those are certainly some things to think about and I, and I think to your point right a lot of assets in that mix do go to people that aren't coming back to the farm people are solving their own puzzle so lots do come back when you're the next gen coming in the shift is trying to let them know what's expected so we can build it back into our financial plan plan for how we're going to do disbursements to redo those things and how we agree and relationship wise how do I deliver the rent check or the buyout check to a sibling to make sure they understand where it's coming from? It's bases back to the question I've asked throughout my career in 32 years. If I opened up a current will, what percent of central Alberta farmers or grain farmers are leaving some of their land to off-farm children? It's been as high as 85% and hasn't changed in 25 years. So when we get to the elephant in the room, I think we have to realize that land is going to off-farm children because of the wealth inside the land right. value. How much is that's a discussion? So if we say, yes, it's happening, then the next question comes back is, let's not fight it. Let's embrace it. Let's discuss it and get the best objectives of what that transfer of equity is all about. And that gets back to a concept of, how about the debt? Well, if my parents transfer a quarter section to my off-farm brother and I am expected to buy that off him, what's it for? Is it for income or wealth? The trouble with all the wheel playing I see is land's going to an off-farm child where mom and dad are dead. That creates no sibling interaction. 
So why don't we transfer this land? And we can do it different ways, control mortgages or whatever. But transfer the land to the off-farm child when they're 35, whatever. So they are part of the family farm. They grew up on that farm. Transfer them a quarter section, right? But then have some restrictions and some covenants. The restriction is the company gets to rent it while the parents are alive. Can you imagine, Joel, you taking a check to your brother who's off-farm and say, here's your rent check. It may not be 20000 maybe ten. But if the farm can't afford to reward land ownership, then how's it going to reward it when I die? So what I want people to do is start proactively doing equity transfers. I like your point about being a referee. Because you're saying you own a part of the pot. It's Heritage Farm. You get part of that quarter, but the business needs access. So access versus ownership is a concept that I really want to stress in our discussion today. You don't own every acre on your farm. 40% of your land is rented. So what's so wrong with one of your landlords being a relative as long as what is the expectation? So when I was doing this stuff, you guys, when I was your age, was that, <clears throat> here's the deal. Yeah. If I give a quarter section to my non-farm child and they sell it in five years, they're a great investor. Yeah. Well, if the value of the farm is to hold patient capital, that's the word I want to come up with, is patient capital. We need to have understanding that land is a patient capital asset. If it isn't, then realize it's an income asset. That clarification gives everybody certainty, and I agree on your point, right? Knowing that ahead of time is going to mm-hmm. set you up for success as a family long-term, that we just put it in the will and we don't tell anyone is going to be... Well, if you do that in the will, then it, it won't last. There'll exactly. be this, there won't be this understanding of what's happening. When we were prepping, you know, we all kind of put our head in our hands and said we go in circles with this as families because it's tough decisions to make, but we wanted to highlight today, regardless of a buyout or transferring farm assets to dividing between your children, in this brainstorming phase, there's some critical questions that, again, me representing the off-farm child's perspective... And so first one, the big one, what happens if the farming successor quits farming? Generally, the plan we're creating with our team of advisors of what our family deems is fair, it's a great plan. However, what happens if successor prematurely passes away, disease, disability, perhaps that larger chunk of assets, is that now converted wealth to income through land sales or things like that? Certainly difficult to assess. The example farm you guys used in your first video, there was a a large percentage of rented land, which is certainly something in the prairies we see. I'm having lots of conversations right now with farm families of what if we can't purchase that rented land, it's not financially feasible for us to come up and or we lose it. So second critical question, if we lose rented acres and our business is once again no longer viable, How is our fair versus equal division of assets play into that? And lastly, the one we wanted to share with you today is something both Joel and I will ask families we're working with. How many generations are you planning for to the senior generation? So again, completely dependent on each family. Some families we've worked with, they say, I'm just planning to my children's level. Others will start to take into account that next generation of grandkids and cousins. And so again, Often, complexities of fair versus equal is, well, the farming child's children could potentially be multimillionaires in the future if they don't continue to farm. And obviously, the off-farm children will not have that same opportunities. We realize that we're highlighting these main issues, but something we talk about a lot, again, we're broken records, but it's because we want to drive it home. If we're proactive planning, it's not as personal. If we wait to react to scenarios or ideas, then of course it does become personal. And what we talk about in our meetings is the gift of choice. 
So going back to Joel, your comment of what is my financial reality if I'm the farming child? Is there any opportunity for me to have some input or be heard from the off-farm child? And then allowing us as the siblings to have some choices in the parent's proposal, I think allows us to have ownership of that plan as well. Joel, do you want to talk about, I love your word, mind monsters and what that is? Everyone goes off with their own story um, uh, and makes up a fact pattern of what happened in this arrangement, right? And you start to see the monster builds in your mind a little bit of, well, that's not really how it happened, right? You're putting it back out there. Like, there was a story behind this, why we did this. We thought about the farm plan. We wanted to see this continue. As a parent, mom and dad felt this was a more fair solution or more equal solution. And starting to put those scenarios out there that as a family, we're doing our best to make small decisions at the start, and then we get better at making bigger decisions as we go along on this fair and equal part. And, and that's where I find people. They're looking for these solutions to unpack these issues. And if they can start doing some small decisions together, then as they progress, the bigger ones get easy, and they get to a place where they get comfortable making a choice. But everybody understands what's happening, and we're in a safe place to have that discussion. Rather than I'm going home, and I'm getting real angry because <laughs> this didn't go the way I wanted. So let's challenge you guys. You're the second generation uh, farm son and, let's say, an off-farm daughter. Basically, we just all discussed about the off-farm daughters and that they're going to have a harder time making a living maybe than you are, and then all on and on and on. But let's do a real example. It's going to face all of our clients. There's a quarter section for sale in your area for a million dollars. Do we buy it, or do we assist our off-farm daughter with transformational income today? What do you think? If, if we buy the quarter, it's $60,000 coming out of our pocket to buy the quarter. Well, first of all, who's the quarter for? I'm 64 years old. And the trouble is, a lot of successful generation my age, they never give up wanting to expand. It's in our blood. Elaine Frey says we're the developers or the, the guys that started these things. We want to keep growing. But when we look back at the family goals rather than just the business goals, my question always is, with this kind of land value, are we better off to spend 60000 a year on buying this quarter, where that in the will, you land up buying, happen to buy three quarters off her for $3 million, or are we better off to say, you know, let's have this hard discussion, and if we don't buy this quarter and we got $60,000 of extra revenue for my retirement and to help Anessa with her living costs for the next 20 years, maybe that's discussion we have to have. If I give you $25,000 a year out of the farm tax-free through my shareholders loan, that's a huge impact on your family. You can educate 100%. your kids, you can get, buy your RESPs, get ahead in life. So I'm helping you get ahead a lot quicker than maybe leaving you a quarter section in the well worth a million that you can't sell for 30 years because you've got to rent it to him for 30 years. I think we have to challenge our thinking with the way the economy is for off-farm people. The cost of housing and this kind of stuff. Before we always look at the expansion of the business, we need to come back and look at what are we trying to accomplish in the next five years. Yeah. And that's why I wound up in the headlock last night as we were discussing this, right? That yeah. um, we had different opinions on that, and it came down to saying, okay, mom and dad, now which hat are you putting on, right? Are you saying, as a family, this is how we, we see it, how you want to proceed to support your children out of the business? And then knowing that, I think, ahead of time, this is where I always see them go bad, is that we're saying we can do both, and we can't do both, right? So one thing I'm going to end up with is something that you and I did a lot of work with when you were with Alberta Agriculture, and I just wanted to bring this forward to the audience across Canada, is looking at co-ownership land models. Whether we have a land capital partnership where we're going back and saying maybe four of those 15 quarters go into a jointly owned land capital partnership where that Anessa mm -hmm. owns it, uh, you own it. You're, if you had more than two siblings, two other daughters own it. And the deal is that's for long-term wealth. And it's going to have not a five-year lease agreement to OPCO, maybe a 25-year rolling lease. You know, that this capital is not sold until the last Bokenfors is farming. 
So that's called long-term patient capital. So that idea, what I come up with when we worked together in Alberta Ag, was to come back and say, maybe we need to look at this long-term capital preservation where that no one gets to sell it, but everyone gets to get their rent off it. Mm-hmm. So you're getting your returns to your land wealth, but it's not sold. It's almost like some of these trusts they have in the U.S. where they don't, they don't have a 21-year limit. Right. So to me, on larger farms, we're going to have to look at that where it's strictly going to solve that issue. If Joel mm-hmm. doesn't farm 40 years from now and his kid sells out, well, there's five quarters worth $5 million that the family has still inherited right. as a land corporation, land capital partnership. But we do have to look at things differently because I think the Isn't elephant in the room of land values and quota or anything else, right, are continuing to be more complex. There are so many questions that no one can answer but you and your family. However, I hope Joel, Inessa, and Merle gave you a bit more insight into this very difficult conversation. Bringing other professionals into the discussion is always an option moving forward. And that can be mediators, psychologists, and anyone who could potentially make this conversation easier. Just like we've said in many of our past episodes, empathy and compassion will go a long way in ensuring everyone feels heard and valued on this journey, especially during these particularly difficult conversations that will have a huge impact on everyone's lives. If you want to review Joel and Merle's first conversation during episode 6, or want to catch up on all our previous episodes in real time, check out the Pathway to Transition virtual event series listed in the show notes. All of the transition resources can also be found on our website at fcc.ca backslash knowledge. Until next time, dream, grow, thrive. Just a reminder to like, follow, or subscribe to our podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us a line at podcasts at fcc.ca. This podcast has been brought to you by Ag Expert, farm management software designed for Canadian agriculture. Learn more at agexpert.ca. The FCC Knowledge Podcast is a Farm Credit Canada production.